Hi guys, and welcome to episode 191 of the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast. I hope you're all safe and well. Today, I'm talking with Alan from the Urban Homesteading UK podcast, and it's a great privilege and a side benefit of having done this podcast that I've become friends with Alan, and um, it really was an absolute joy. And the only reason that I'm recording this really short preface is to say that, so usually when I do a recording with someone, the first few minutes of the recording is a bit of a preamble, and we're saying hi and catching up etc etc and I just wanted to say that this time you know we just spoke about so many good things in those little few minutes at the start that I wanted to leave it in so there's no real intro there's uh you know it's straight into just me talking to Alan and I just thought that might be a a bit of a weird juxtaposition against what you might be expecting if I hadn't given you this little preamble first so there you go and uh without further ado I shall hand you over to today's episode Hello, and welcome to the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast. I'm Carl from selfsufficienthub.com, and I'm here to talk about all things self-sufficiency. Sustainability and food security matters. Hi, Alan. Yeah, good. You? Yeah, not bad at all, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to have a bank holiday, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I well, I lost most of mine because uh, oh. it's uh, oh, technical issues. I'm such a, a technical noob. But um, so I record all my um, YouTube videos on my phone, and yeah. I don't know. I, I know you watch a lot of them. I don't know if you watch them I all. Do. But, um, oh, okay. Well, I um, I've been struggling yeah. with some audio issues and stuff, and and you've noticed on some of them, there's been like a crackling in the audio. Yeah. And I was like, I was at my wits end. I tried all sorts of different microphones and then and anyway, I thought, well, you know, sod it. I'll, I'll get a new phone. I was doing an upgrade anyway. So yeah. I got my new phone and I recorded a video, no problem. Then I recorded another one and I didn't use a, an external microphone or anything. I just used the, the stuff that's native on the phone Yeah. and all these crackling issues were there again. And I was oh. pulling my hair out. And so I, Basically, the, the 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 short version is I ended up having to drive today to Bath, which <laughs> is the closest um, Apple-like shop that they have Genius yep. Bars. Well, it's yep. the closest one, but it's a good hour and a half away. And um, yeah. yeah, I ended up having to drive there and, and lost sort of half the day. And mm. I really needed, I really needed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you've been struggling with the work and everything else, haven't you, bless you? I well. have. Yeah, I yeah. really needed it. But uh, anyway, yeah. I've just, I, I feel... Um, I, I put out a podcast episode today talking about, you know, just uh, managing workload and, and right, yeah. it's just really important to take the time sometimes to do nothing every so mm, often. Absolutely. And yeah. that's, that's what I feel like I need at the moment. But uh, anyway, yeah. yeah. So that's me. That's my little, little rant out of the way. How have, you, <laughs> how, how have you got on with your bank holiday? Well, I'm not, I'm, I'm never, I'm never as productive when I've got lots of time as I am when I haven't got much. I think that's probably the reality. Sure, sure. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I went to the allotment yesterday and, and went, I'm going to get a load of more cages built. So I get the pigeons off all the, the brassicas and the peas and everything I've got ready to go in. And then I got there and then there'd been a delivery of wood chip. 
And it was one of those moments of, do I do what I came here to do? Or do I wood chip as much of the allotment as I can while it's there and it's free? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I did up wood chipping. Yeah. <laughs> so that was that, yeah. So, so I've achieved, I actually achieved nothing this weekend, really, apart from wood chipping most of the allotments. So, yeah, achieved you know, nothing on your list. Terms. You've achieved yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff, just not the stuff yeah. you, you'd planned. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. But, you know, we've had quite a nice day today. We had a couple of visitors in the garden and that should be nice. But um, what, what sort of weather have you got? We've got... Oh, terrible. Yeah, we have. Yeah, we have. Uh, it's not. Know, it's not raining yet, but it's due to. But it's so cold; it's ridiculous. Yeah, that's crazy, ridiculous. isn't it? For the time of year, yeah. it's just. Oh. It's. I'm not let's end with it because you. We had, a, we had a grass frost yesterday morning. No, Saturday morning here, which is just unheard of. Yeah, we, we're getting yeah. frost most mornings still at the moment, and mm. it's just it, uh, you, you don't know what to do. You, you'd like, you know, because you, you, you've got all this stuff that you've sown. Yep. <laughs> what what do you do? <laughs> what do you do with it? Do you... Well, oh. yeah. This time last year, I had tomatoes out in the garden, a bit like yourself, and I haven't even considered it yet. They're still in the uh, in the greenhouse at the minute, in the heated greenhouse yeah. as well. For that, for that matter, <laughs> just to be on the yeah, safe right. side. I've got I've got <laughs> I've got beans that are um, some runner beans that are like six inches tall now in oh, in, no. my poly, in my poly in my polytunnel. Yeah. So I'm thinking. Well, I you, you're the expert. Well, I, I think I might pot them on. Will that be okay? Just it will. What, bigger pots, and then you, you're going to you, you're going to need to. I, I, from experience, uh, you're going to struggle to plant them. So one, one thing I would do if if you've got it is put some canes in, put a cane in for each one individually. Because when I've been in that position in the past, what tends to happen is they'll wind around each other to the point that they are completely un, you can't transplant them. They're too I, I heard, too long and spindly. Yeah, I heard you mentioning that on your last yeah. podcast. Um, yeah, actually, no, I've <laughs> actually got something you might want to pass on to Mike, actually. Or I'll, All right, I'll okay. Him, I'll tell him myself. Yeah. Is um, yeah. you know, talking of things frying, I can't even yep. grow crops. That's how bad a gardener I am. <laughs> 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 I, 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 <laughs> I fried grass in my polytunnel. <laughs> Oh, it's priceless. That's yeah. absolutely priceless. It's so easily done in those things, though, isn't it? It's just... It's oh, just, like you know, four, four hours. <laughs> That's all I need. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, I've got, I've, got, I've got crest growing on my windowsill in the house, and uh, I think I'll never, ever, ever bother trying the polytunnel again. You just can't take your eyes off it. <laughs> I was not sure I'd admit to that one. You might never live it down. <laughs> well, I, oh, I might... Uh, I might, uh, I might keep. If it's all right with you, I might keep all of this preamble in the recording. Of course, the end, add it at of the course. end. Of course, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, well, uh, let's do a proper intro anyway. So, yeah, uh, of course. Hello, yeah. Every, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Self Sufficient Hub podcast. And as you can probably tell, I've got my friend Alan here. Alan from you may know him as Alan and Mike from the Urban Homesteading UK podcast, and. Um, I, I, I will just mention because I think it's 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 only right to Alan's one of the people I would never have met if I hadn't been doing this podcast thing. And uh, it's, you know, one of the real privileges of, of doing this. And uh, I think it's fair to say that uh, even though, we, you know, we've never met in person, I, I certainly would consider you to be a friend now. And it's, uh, you know, a, a great part of this community that uh, we're both working to grow. Absolutely, absolutely, and and it's nice to be able to sort of chip into each other for for tips and advice on things yeah. I know you know more about than I do, and, and hopefully likewise in return. So that's that's of been course. really cool. Yeah, yeah. It's been one of the really well, nice things. Well, there's a couple of things that I would definitely uh, put you in the category of of knowing more than me, and one is the one we've been talking about already, and and it's just gen general, you know, growing vegetables. It's one that you're far more experienced in than me. Um, hmm. But the other, which is really the one that we we 
planned to discuss today is beekeeping and a, a certain aspect of it's it's getting towards the time of year now where there's lots and lots of beehives that are growing and getting to the point where the colonies will be thinking of you know expanding their their number of colonies not just their number of bees uh, by mm. swarming won't they yeah absolutely it's that time of year and i was watching your uh, video you put up on youtube over the weekend with the the drone brood as it was in your your yeah. hive that you've got there and and that really leads us to sort of talking about swarm season because if they've got drone brood um, that will hatch as 28 days from the egg being laid until that hatches and goes out. Uh, and once the drones are out there, the queens will start thinking about swarming. Um, so that sort of time of year is coming. I have to say, with it being as cold as it's been here, I don't know if you've had, I know you've had similar, we were talking before, but obviously listeners have got similar in different parts of the world where they are. Um, it's pretty unlikely to happen when it's cold like it is. But as soon as it warms up, um, we're going to be seeing swarms here, there and everywhere, I should imagine. Um, certainly by the end of May, we'll be seeing quite a few of them. So yeah. Uh, definitely need to be thinking about that now so that we're prepared and, and ready to try and catch some of them. Yeah, so there's a, there's a couple of aspects here. I mean, there's there's firstly, there's swarm control, which is something yep. beekeepers are sort of heavily into. And, and I'd say yep. probably it's a big part of the management that they sort of undertake, isn't it? The, the hive management is controlling their hives swarming and, and how they manage that. I don't know how much time we'll get and, and what we'll get into today. But the other the other part of it was you know, capturing swarms and that is, you know, your own swarms, but also other swarms. And when I was first and, and to try and connect the dots here for people who don't yet have bees, but are maybe considering it. When I was first getting into beekeeping, it, I was a little bit put off actually by the sort of cost because to, hmm. to buy a hive and, you know, a hive full of bees, you're talking several hundred pounds. Yeah. But what, fascinates me and and what became really apparent really quite quickly when i plugged myself into the beekeeping community just a little bit was that beekeepers don't buy bees do they absolutely not why would you buy something you can get for free exactly. um, and, I, and i think <laughs> i think that's that's the first thing bees for free is one of the things we want to talk about today and the other yeah. thing is, is obviously you mentioned there that we're, we're beekeepers and, and the key bit there being keepers um, so yep. we're trying to keep hold of our bees. I consider myself, as, as we mentioned in one of our podcasts, to be a bee haver rather than a beekeeper. Yes. Um, largely because if I lose a few swarms, do you know what? That, that's only good for the local environment um, because I know that the bees that are going out from my hives have got you know good, strong genetics and they can cope with what the nature throws at them. Um, yep. And so from that point of view, I'm not too worried as, as much as some people might be. That and the fact that we keep more hives than we need. And we'll probably get into that, I imagine, as we go through. But certainly if you if you look at what beekeepers do and people they're experienced they tend not to buy bees and in fact i would encourage people who are starting out not to buy bees if you can avoid it um there are other ways to do it that are free um but also i yeah. think that, that by buying the bees you make a, a sort of an in, initial error not error error is not the right word but you you, you make a, an investment into something which then leads you to make decisions to try and protect that investment uh, yeah. rather than decisions that are necessarily right for the bees and for yourself uh, and so I yeah. think if you can avoid avoid an, too much of an initial outlay, firstly, you're more likely to continue when things go wrong because you you don't feel like you've you've wasted that money and that investment and get frustrated with it. Um, but but also you're not then going to make further decisions to protect that investment that, like I say, mightn't be the best in the best interest of your bees or yourself. For sure. For sure. Now, I've got, I've got two <coughs> colonies. You, you obviously have um, far more than that, but I, I've got two colonies currently and um, I got both of them. 
actually buying a bee colony through two different ways that we're not going to mm. really discuss. Um, yep. So the first way is I actually got one as part of the beekeeping beginners beekeeping course that I entered. And I know that the, it's, it's quite rare for these beginner beekeeping courses to have that as a sort of attachment to it. Mm. So I was very lucky in that regard. But the other way I got them was to actually go and uh, cut them out of a roof on a building that was being mm. demolished. And uh, I have to say, I learned more in that experience experience than you know i would have in several hours or days in a classroom i'm, I'm such a a hands-on learner and mm. you know the the idea of just going and and actually physically removing an active colony from a from a home was just extraordinary for me and and that video is up on youtube if people are interested but um perhaps you would like to take the lead and talk about you know the ways that you would generally acquire new colonies of bees um, so typically there's a couple of ways that we do it. One is that we, we take splits from our own existing colonies, which truthfully I'm a bit too lazy to do most of the time or too busy often. Um, but, but have, we have done very successfully in the past and you can do that in a number of different ways. Um, the easiest is, is sort of a method called a walk away split, which we could perhaps talk about in a bit more detail later. Sure. Uh, and then the, the other way that mainly I kind of wanted to, to highlight with you. And we spoke about when we spoke with bees before, um is is to catch swarms um and once yeah. the swarm season starts and it runs from about i mean I, i've heard of swarms being around already in late april uh in our area it's pretty unusual um to see them that early and the likelihood of them being successful that early is small yeah um, but if you said sort of mid to late may till about mid july thereabouts is probably about your swarm season certainly where we are south south of england yeah, um, I know of at least you know, one near me. Just a couple of weeks ago, someone actually contacted me and said, "Can you come yeah. and collect a swarm?" And I was unable. It was it was it was inaccessible um, yeah. to be to be polite. But uh, yeah, no, I was yeah. unable. But that's the only one I've heard of this yeah. early this year. It's very unusual. I, I caught one literally on the roof of my garage at the end of May last year, and that that I felt that was early. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, we're, we're not quite into swarm season yet, but that's good for us because it gives us time to get organised and and to get the swarm boxes out and try and try and catch some colonies. Yeah. So how, how do you go about that? I mean, to me, um, the idea, it all sounds a bit, um, sounds a bit magical to me, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it, like there's some kind of enchantment you're going to share with me. Yeah. You have to do a little dance and uh, <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, not at all. Uh, it, it's really straightforward and that's the beautiful thing about it. And it doesn't cost a lot of money. Um, and it's, it's so simple. Anybody can do it. If you've got any kind of roof that's sort of slightly raised up the top of your garage, the top of your shed, um, something that ideally something that's flat or that you can you can prop a, a box up flat on it and, and the idea is that you're going to get um, a nuke hive a nuke box which is about half the size of your sort of standard brood box which you've you've shown on your videos yeah. um, and the idea then is that you're going to you're going to bait that effectively to try and encourage a swarm to move in um, yeah. and so there's lots of different ways of doing it and, and as with all things beekeeping there's a, a different way for each beekeeper that you know um, yeah. but, but in essence what we're going to do is we're going to take a frame um of ideally old wax preferably old brood wax but if it's got a bit of honey in it that seems to help too um and we're going to hang that inside of this box uh i then also like to put a bit of lemongrass oil in the back about six or seven drops of lemongrass oil either on a cotton bud in a little sort of plastic bag or um, sometimes just dripped in the back of it depending on what i've got to hand at the time um, and that's supposed to replicate the, the queen pheromone um, and then you're literally going to just put it up somewhere high, uh, preferably somewhere that's sunny, because then it'll get the warm on it. Um, and, and the thing was, when I when I did the, the the swarm box last year that I put up on my garage roof, I I literally got some old comb. I was clearing out and there was some old comb and I was doing it. And I was like, oh, I'll just chuck that up on the roof of the garage and I'll clear it up later on. 
up near the, the swarm there and you could yeah. smell it with the sun it was so warm there because right in right in sort of south facing garage roof and so hot with the sunshine it warmed it all up and i could smell it from ground level uh which means that bee scouts could smell it from miles away potentially um yeah yeah and then the idea is that the, 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 the scouts are going to come and find it and hopefully what you're going to get is a is a swarm of bees move in and, it, and it's in, in, in essence that it's that simple it's just putting up some boxes so there's a, i've got loads <laughs> of questions so yeah go on go right, for it my, my, my first one is right so if if we're in the position that we're going to put out a nuke box to try and catch a swarm we're yep. obviously going to be in the position where we've got a hive that we're, we're going to then put them in otherwise why would we bother so yep. why are we using a nuke box rather than just a brood box and save for uh, secondary moving uh, simply if, uh, there's a couple of things really one is that if the box if the hole if sorry if the box is too big um, there's potential for the bees to look at it and go, well, this hole's too large for our colony. You know, we're not going to be able to fill the space. Um, and that, I'm not sure how accurate that is, but that's sort of the, the old wives' tale that goes with it. Yeah. But the simple practical practical reason is that I don't want to lift a whole big brew box off the roof of my garage with a floor that's not attached um, sure. down onto the ground level whilst halfway up a ladder if I don't have to. Sure. Um, so what I, w- what I would normally do is try and aim to catch the, the colony in the nuke box, leave it in there for as long as it's... Um, got the space you know it's got enough space to to live in there and then only move it when you need to the other thing you need to remember with bee colonies is of course is that a lot of it's about temperature um and so obviously they're trying to maintain a certain temperature inside and then the bigger that space that's not filled is they've got to keep warm the more energy they're expending doing that which means the less they're doing building up colonies building up stores building up uh, wax and so on yes Um, so having a box that's the right size for the colony that's using it um, is is often a very positive thing. Um, I would say there's a slight exception to that in that some of our nuke boxes and, and hives, for that matter, are polystyrene, yes. uh, which is very useful in in obviously thermal neut- thermally neutral. Um, so that's quite handy. So that sort of helps to solve some of that problem. Um, but the one I'm looking at on the garage roof at the moment is actually made out of old pallets. Mike knocked it up a year or two ago. Um, it's got a bit of plastic on the roof rather than felt. It's a sort of a bit of polythene. It might even be an old compost bag for all I can, all I can tell from here. Yeah, that's just been stapled on the top, and it's just been knocked together out of out of an old pallet. And then the holes, that, as the pallets dried out, it's sort of uh, warped a little bit. So we've had to fill a few holes in there, but um, it, it does perfectly well. It'll catch a swarm in it if there's one around. So, so it can be really cheap and simple. You can find self-sufficient hub content elsewhere online in lots of other places. We have a YouTube channel. We also have our website, and now there's our Facebook page and Facebook group. Links to all of these you can find in the show notes. Come check us out. So, excuse me for sort of yep. banging banging the same drum, but I, I've no, go got for a, fo- a follow-up question. So, from from yeah. my point of view, I, I, we were having a conversation earlier, so you already know yep. how incredibly mean and tight I am. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, so, what I'm thinking is now, let's say I don't mind the weight. Let's say that's yep. not an issue for me. Yep. Then, um, would I'd be just as well off using a brood box and then just um, sort of filling half of it, like a quarter on the right and a quarter on the left yep. with some polystyrene um, insulation. Yep, so that, that, that would work absolutely fine, I would imagine. Using yeah. the size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, in I think fact, that's the if, way I'd go. In, in the past, we have, in fact, rather than leaving, because it makes no sense to leave equipment in a, in a shed, you know, filled with spiders and whatever. Um, we have in the past put, put the boxes up on the stands that we normally use. Yeah. So rather than putting them up high, because obviously, you know, wooden ones particularly are heavy, 
um, just put them out on the stands next to the beehives. It's unlikely to catch swarms from the hives we've got, the existing hives, but it may well catch them from other from elsewhere. Um, so yeah, we've sure. done that before. Yeah. So my next question then, um, yep. you've you, you're looking at a um, a new box on your garage roof. And I'm assuming that you, when you catch, if and when you catch a swarm in there, you're going yep. to rehome them fairly locally, are you not? Um, I'm going to likely uh, to where I work initially. Um, and the main reason for that is that my nearest, the, the bee, we, we keep three different apiaries that we've got. One is where we work. And, and part of that is because we use the bees in our work at times, certainly in the summer. Um, and then we've got two out apiaries from there, both on land that belongs to friends and, and sort of people that we know. Um, and we keep two or three hives in each of those at the moment as well. So we've got, I think we've got about 12 hives altogether. So it could go to any of those three yards, but the simplest place for me to take it back to is work initially. And, how far uh, and then away we can work, work on it from there. 15 miles. Oh, okay. Because that's the bit I was yeah. getting at. That's the bit I was thinking yeah. about. Because so, I mean, I've actually got um, just outside our kitchen. Part of our house has a yeah. a flat roof, and that would be perfect. It would literally be perfect. Yeah. But obviously, my apiary in the garden. So, mm -hmm. how do you feel about that? The process of of moving them once they're caught a few hundred yards. It's 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 always a bit of a risk, uh, especially with a swarm. Yeah. Um, we did it last year. I caught that swarm that I caught. Uh, a friend of mine took it back um, to where he lives, which is a bit more than 15 miles away. Um, and they absconded from there. They just left up to left one day. And we don't know what happened or why or where they went. Um, so that is a bit of a risk when you start moving them around. But I've moved hives 100 yards before and not had any problems. Um, the one thing I would say is that it's worth um, when you do it. Obviously, you're going to do that at night time. Um, and I know you sort of did it recently, didn't you, at dusk and, and moved yes. them back. So that hopefully the bees were all in, which is what you want to do when you're moving the hives. That was exactly as you would do it. Um, but when you've when you've moved them, I would recommend getting some branches or something and putting them across the front of the entrance. OK. Um, and the theory behind that is that, that the, the bees seem to. Um, I've actually heard this. Goes, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Please, do, please do carry on. But I have heard this. So, actually. so the, the bees seem to think that they sort of recognize that there's a change that's happened. And then that makes them reorient so that when they go out, they're not just kind of an autopilot and just go back to the normal sort of location. Um, and so by, by putting the branches across, you can just sort of make them reset and sort of look around and go, well, hold on, what's going on here? And then yes. just think about what they're doing rather than like we do when we're driving, you know. How many times have yeah. you been driving home from work and you know the route really well and all of a sudden you're taking the wrong turn because you've been going that way or whatever it might be, you know, you just yeah, go yeah. somewhere nearby, yeah? Yeah, yeah so no, the, absolutely. And that does work in my experience. Um, what you, you will get the odd straggler that will go back to the original location. Yes. Um, but the majority of the colony will remain where they are and, that's more than enough for, for what you want to do. If you're, if you're moving a nuke and you lose a few dozen bees, it's, you know, yeah. worse things happen. Yeah. So for, for, for everyone listening <laughs> along, the, the reason I ask that question is because there's a, there's a, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a saying or a wives tale or a rule of yep. thumb, whatever you want to call it, but it's, it's a bit of a rule that um, it's the rule of threes. And people say that you should move a hive. If you're going to move a hive, either less than three feet or more than three miles. And the thinking behind mm. that is if you move it less than three feet to the bees, it hasn't really moved. And if you yep. move it more than three miles, they're going to reorientate themselves. But if you move it in between, then, um, you know, there's a really high risk. This is uh, as, as you're taught or as you're told, by yep. Yep. you know beekeepers there's a really high risk that they're all going to basically go out forage and then head back to where home used to be does that, that yeah that's uh basically that, that's how it the, that, that's it yeah but, um but but to be truthful if you've got a strong colony you know it's going to knock them back it's going to keep them back of course but it won't kill them 
No. Even if even if they did all, you know, even if all the foragers did go back to the wrong location, it's one of those ones we, where when you're trying to maximise, and, and this is not something that Mike and I do at all when we're doing our beekeeping, when you're trying to maximise output, uh, that's a problem, isn't it? You know, you're, when you're going to yeah. lose something that's going to put back your production, that's that's difficult, and you know how you're going to solve that problem. We don't see that as a problem because we're not trying to maximise output. We're not growing or not keeping for you know profit we're, we're keeping to produce enough honey for ourselves for the year and then if we've got some left over to sell that will help us buy new equipment to expand the operation and you know and that it, when you're looking at it that way when you change that mindset um it, it makes it less of a problem yeah and and i have to say i'm you know i'm fully on board with that you know that that is 100 percent where i'm at as well you know i do it with everything whether i'm talking about the you know milking the goats or whatever you know yep. there's a way that we could do it which would be more in line with sort of commercial farming practices which would increase our yields and everything else but that's yep. not how i want to work and it's not how everybody's most happy working you know but mm. talking about the humans involved but also the animals involved and uh, yeah. i'm 100 percent that way with the, with you know my vision for what i want to be as a beekeeper mm. or a bee haver yeah. <laughs> 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 well hopefully we can convert you to that because i think it's it's really important i think that there's a lot of um, sort of commercial practice that's crept into beekeeping and i think that yeah. um, and a lot of chemical use that's crept into beekeeping and a lot of well, really unsavory practice and uh, you know if a few of us can fight back against it all for the all for the better in my opinion yeah well i can tell you you know there's no conversion necessary I, i'm 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 mm. all in already you know i'm i'm certainly mm. uh i'm i'm going to be treatment free etc etc mm. and and Marvelous. very 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 relaxed about my colonies full stop you know i'm mm. going to be um doing the best i can for them but i'm going to be very very relaxed and I, i'm going to try and and with your guys help um i'm mm. going to try and and reduce the number of inspections and the number of times i even have to go in there yep. because you know they, they don't want it <laughs> they definitely don't want me in there every 10 minutes of course they don't and uh you know the the the, the less i have to do the better and that works across yeah. the board yeah, absolutely and I, and I think as as a beginner beekeeper it's really hard to not look at mm -hmm. your colony and go i really want to put the suit on and go and see what's going on in there and i certainly mm -hmm. did that in my th first year of beekeeping and i'm fairly confident that the first colony that i had i lost because i was just in there too much and, yeah. and every time you open it you know i, I made mistakes last year I, I managed to get the queen on the wrong side of the excluder um, right. and I, the inspection i did was necessary because i hadn't been in there for some time i just wanted to make sure that they were setting up for the summer well and everything else um, but I then left them, as I often do, for a couple of months. And the beekeepers will tell you, oh, you should be in there every week or nine days, or whatever. It's not necessary at all. Um, and it just leads me to make more mistakes in my case. Uh, yeah. And it ended up with me going in for an early September to go and collect the honey and go, hold on a minute, there's brood in the super. Um, and the, the queen was on the wrong side of the excluder. She'd been laying in there very happily. Whether that yeah. colony's come through, I haven't even been to check it yet this year, but I'd be surprised if they made it through the winter because there won't be enough, won't have been enough bees or enough stores to, to get them through potentially. I caught yeah. it before the winter and was able to rectify it, but um, yeah, I, I'm not, not, not feeling hopeful for that, those ones, unfortunately. No. Um, and no, that's no. just my error, you know, but uh, you live and learn. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, you've seen me, uh, you know, just in the, I've only posted, I think, three or four videos um, of my beekeeping and you've seen me making mistakes already. And But that's how I learn as well, you know, yep. massively. And uh, I'm very prepared to make make those mistakes. And, I, and, I, and yes. I hope it comes across in the podcast and the YouTube. I'm never, ever preaching and I'm never, ever saying, no. you know, this is how you should do it, everyone. I'm saying, yeah. watch me do it. Watch me learn. And yeah. uh, 
you know watch me watch me make mistakes because this is uh, this is the process yeah i think that's valuable and I, and I think that people can learn a lot from watching and i noticed as well on the video uh, with the um we thought you had queen cells over the weekend so, yeah um obviously you put the, the sign on the bottom but actually it was drone brood and um and that's an important distinction actually because once once you start to recognize those queen cells and they they practice making queen cells and all sorts of things you can then use those and perhaps this is a time to sort of move into thinking about splits and trying to get bees for free that way once you've already got bees so you can catch if you've got no bees you can catch a swarm and then you have bees yeah. but in your circumstance where you've already got two colonies potentially you can use that to to increase the number of colonies you've got absolutely um, and, and just it, before we go in just before go on, we go everyone. into that just to yep. preface that if <laughs> someone is looking to start out beekeeping yep. and they know another beekeeper um yep. And and this is kind of an assumption based on a little bit of knowledge, but you know I'm guessing most beekeepers. Th th basically, if you've got two hives, you're going to end up needing four hives at the end of that year, and if you've got four hives, you're going to end up needing eight and then sixteen. So so every beekeeper really has what I would now call spare bees. Do they not? So if you know a beekeeper, you're just starting out. I don't think the ratios are quite right, but potentially you have. <laughs> <Sure>. Yeah, <laughs> if sure. only it were that straightforward. <laughs> but no, sure. poten potentially they have. I mean, what what tends to happen obviously is you lose a colony or two over the winter potentially, and that's why I would recommend always keeping more than one or two. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's something you sort of then you end up starting the year that you're, you're down a couple as as Mike and I will be this year. We we I went into our our oldest uh, longest serving colony on Friday, and I, I need to move the the crown board from just above the excluder to above the super that was already on there um, to find that they, they died through the winter. They'd actually suffered from isolation, starvation. Um, right. And it, there was plenty of honey in the hive, um, but they just couldn't get to it because it was on the other side of the hive. And where I think where we've had this so much cold recently, um, they've just frozen out and, and not been able to get to the food. Sure. Um, so, so you get these problems that occur and, and obviously as a beekeeper, you're always trying to maintain, you know, we, we're looking to try and increase our stocks this year if we can. Um, and we will do that by various different means. Um, but I would say that most beekeepers, certainly many beekeepers, will have more bees than they need. And if you ask at the local association, our local association actually will, uh, there's a swarm list that you can sign up to, for example. So um, yeah, at this time of year, they'll be asking who wants to who wants to try and catch swarms this year, who's available, put your name and phone number down. And then what they'll do is they'll put out a group text every time that they get a swarm call. And then pretty much the first person to respond goes and picks that swarm up if they can. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so if again, if you're if you're not if you're, you're looking to start and you've got no bees, again, sign up to the local beekeeping association. It won't cost you more than about twenty or thirty quid. I shouldn't imagine if you've got no bees at all. Um, and all that is to to cover their insurance pretty much, which covers you you for insurance. Yeah. Um, and then you can put your name on the swarm list, and then you can go out and try and catch swarms. Uh, and again, as you've had the experience you've had, Carl, with with your locals, beekeepers always want to keep you know be involved in keeping bees and and so if there's a swarm to go and catch somebody somewhere if you say oh i'd like to go and get it but is there anyone that's willing to give me a hand chances are yeah. somebody will be yeah um, i can't so, yeah. i can't really advocate strongly enough for joining your local beekeeping association mm. if you're starting out i mean the yeah. the, the benefits are just huge you know that yeah. i think it i would say it's a must you know, I think you're foolish not to. If you're if you're an absolute beginner starting mm. out, I would say you're foolish not to. You definitely need a mentor. You definitely need a mentor one way around or another. I was fortunate because Mike taught me to keep bees, um, and he'd been taught by someone that he knew a few you know years before, and and so it's passing that knowledge down. And I I, I now teach people to keep bees. Um, that's one of the things that I I sort of do as, in my line of work. Um, yeah. 
as sort of a, a small part of it, but but a very important part of it for the individuals that are involved. And so, um, an opportunity there to pass that knowledge on is, is always always welcome. I think with these with the associations, as with all things in life, especially these days, you kind of have to filter out the noise a little bit sometimes. Yes, um, and you have to have to 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 listen, but 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 then listen with a critical ear. Um, and just think about what you're being told and what you're being taught, a bit like the three feet or, or three miles yeah. idea, um, because a lot of that has been been proven to be actually not exactly accurate. Um, yeah. But certainly there's a lot of, you know, in terms of the basic keeping bees and how to do that, it, there's loads to learn. And those people will be very willing to share their knowledge. And, and many of them have far more years of experience than I have. Yeah. Uh, and know, just just to reiterate what you're just to reiterate what you're saying some some of them unfortunately will be will be too eager to share um, <laughs> the, the knowledge that, that perhaps you know using the term knowledge is being a bit generous so you know, right, bear, okay. bear that in mind but you know yeah. I, I think but that's the beauty of doing it today when we have access to the internet and and yeah. a, an absolute plethora of resources mm. that you can you can make your own mind up and do your own fact checking and yeah you know, but, but, you know, none of that is to take away what I originally said about the benefits of joining an association. I, I think they're, they're definitely uh, something not to be overlooked if you're just starting absolutely. out. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly to find a mentor, someone that's willing to, to let you follow them around. I mean, I didn't have any bees for the first two years. I was beekeeping in inverted commas. Yeah. Didn't have any bees of my own. It, you know, it took me a while to, to catch a swarm. And in those days we weren't really familiar with you know, swarm catching was something you kind of put a box up a bit. Like you say, it's a bit mystical. And well, how does that work? And, and you kind of read and you, you listen and you think and you, you try and, and then eventually you catch a swarm. You sort of think, well, what, what, how yeah. did that work? Why did that work? Well, let's try doing that again. And oh, lo and behold, it happens. You know, it works again. And yeah, at yeah. that point, all of a sudden, you've worked out how to do it, haven't you? Yeah, um, absolutely. So, so yeah. We, so, we've, sp we've spoke about yeah. bait baiting a nuke box. Yep. yep. But we haven't. We've kind of skipped over the whole actually catching a swarm Yep. side of things so okay. maybe before we go to <laughs> before we go to splits did, yep. did you have did you have any wisdom to impart with regards to swarms uh, so i think the, the bottom line is put the box up at the right time uh in a, in a place where there are bees around and that's easy to spot you know you go out in your garden if you've got any kind of flowers that have got nectar in them um you'll see honeybees on them mm -hmm. um so just check for that and if you're looking at honeybees and they're going into the flowers and they're taking nectar uh then you're at the right sort of time of year uh, and then the beautiful thing about this is that then you just wait. Um, <laughs> and yeah. it, it literally last May when we got the swarm on my garage roof, and as you know, Carl, I live in the middle of town. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's the well, middle of town. It's, a, it's a, you know, a housing estate on the edge of town. Um, I've got yeah. neighbours all around me, you know, either side. Um, and, and literally the box is on top of the garage there. And I was down the bottom of the garden looking after some vegetables or something down the bottom of the garden. And one of my, one of my kids comes out, daddy, 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 there's, there's bees, there's bees in the garden. And I was like, Get in. it's just such a beautiful thing. Cause all I was yeah. doing was just going about my business and come running out. And, and what you'll find is you'll get this, you know, thousands of bees. And, and sometimes, you know, you'll find yourself, Carl, yeah. if you haven't already, people will call you and say, oh, there's a swarm of bees. And what they mean is there's half a dozen bees. Yeah. Um, when you've got, when you've got a swarm of bees, you've got several thousand of them. Yes. Um, and, and usually the, the air is thick with them. And uh, most people would be reluctant to walk in the middle of it for fear of being stung. Uh, and, and you know, then you've got a swarm. And what they will do then is, uh, you know, typically the, the scout bees will have scouted ahead. Uh, they would have found that there's a, a colony somewhere. The, the parent colony will have raised queens. Usually I find that this is um, older queens. So when you've, when you've had a colony for about two or three years, uh, as the queen gets older, one of the things that she will do is she'll lay a bunch of eggs uh, and then the, the, the colony will decide that now's the time to replace her and they'll turn those eggs into queen cells. Okay. 
uh, and those queen cells then droop down. So unlike those sort of almost like bullet ends that you have with your drone brood, yeah, what you'll see is that the, the queen cells droop down off, off of the, the comb because they're so long. Yes. Um, and, and often they'll produce several of these. Okay. Now, sometimes it's just because they want to get rid of the old queen. They want to supersede because she's got old, gotten old and she's not doing a very good job. And as a beekeeper, you can normally spot that because the brood pattern's not great. You know, normally you want a nice tight brood and eggs and everything else. And, you know, she's stopped and started missing out some cells or not laying in every one or whatever it might be. They decide they're going to replace her. Or, or often what they do is they, they produce swarm cells. And the idea is that those queens are going to swarm. Typically, once the queen's laid those eggs and she, the, again, the pheromone in there, it's all about pheromones inside the beehive will change. She recognizes what's going on and she just decides to leave normally. And you get a, what they call a prime swarm where the queen will leave the colony, uh, usually with several thousand of the worker bees that will decide to follow her. And then left behind in the colony will be all of the worker bees that remained, plus these unopened, unhatched queen cells. Now, sometimes those queen cells will hatch and they also will swarm. So you get secondary swarms that come out as well. Typically, they're smaller. Uh, they've got a virgin queen in there. So she, when she gets wherever she's going, she's got to then mate and get established. And that takes a bit longer. So as a beekeeper, if you can catch a prime swarm, they're usually bigger. You've already got a laying queen in there. That is like the pinnacle. Um, and the idea then, obviously, you've, we talked about you've got them. They move into your box. I think, does that cover everything? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Apart, yeah. apart from apart from the actual physical process of <laughs> oh, right, okay. um, so, yes, so, so uh, as a, yeah. as opposed to as opposed to catching them by baiting a box. Yep. Let's say you come across a swarm, an actual swarm okay. that's right, okay. on a tree. Yep. What's yep. the physical so, process there? Okay, so if you've got a baited box, they'll just move in. They sort of land on the side and walk in. If they cluster on a tree, so sometimes when they when they well, always pretty much in my experience, when they leave a hive. The first thing they'll do is they'll pitch up somewhere and they'll wait for the scouts to come and sort of take them to wherever they're going to end up. Yeah. Um, and so often what you get when you get a swarm call is that they've pitched up somewhere and they're waiting to figure out what, what what's the next move. Now, where are we going to? Um, we must have a tree or something in mind that we're going to go and move into. And they're waiting for that. Um, what you're going to need to do at that point is get a, either a cardboard box or you can get something called a skep, which is like a, a woven basket. Um, and to, if you can get to it, um, typically it's a case of putting that box or skep underneath the colony. And sometimes you'll see beekeepers cut the branch, whatever it is that they're on off. Sometimes you'll see them jolt and try and knock them all down into the box or the skep. Um, depending where they are, the idea, they're just going to try and get them into that skep or that box and then cover it up. And, and then usually what you would do is leave it there in position, hopefully for the queen to stay, but then for the other bees that are in the area to move in. Um, so when we've done this in the past, you kind of, yeah, we, I, I would get a cardboard box myself because I haven't got skip. Um, you then upend the cardboard box once you've got the bees in there and then leave it somewhere near to where they pitched up. And the queen pheromone will draw the others in. What you'll see is all the bees with their, their bums up in the air effectively. Uh, and what they're doing is they're, they are sending out pheromone signals to all the other bees. This is where we are. And then the bees yeah. will pick up on that and hopefully come back to, to join the rest of the colony. And they're kind uh, of saying, we found a home, aren't they? Yes, effectively, yes. Yeah. So they're, they're going to move into that space and this is where we're going to stay. And then obviously what you're going to do is take advantage of that and as soon as it's dark enough to move them and most of the bees are in, cover it up and take it away to wherever you want it to be. Um, if you've got, you know, this time of year, not quite there yet, but when you, you were talking on one of your, your podcasts recently about an EDC, um, and in, uh, in yeah. my EDC, in my EDC from the end of May is a swarm box. Yeah. 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 Uh, some sort of some sort of nuke box, bait hive, whatever you want to call it, just a small beehive in the back of my car 
wherever I am, because if it gets get a swarm call or there happens to be one at work, which there often is, um, I've got the equipment there with me ready to go. And obviously my beekeeping suit and everything's in there as well. So that if, if that happens, I've got the access rather than needing a cardboard box and having to move it, you know, or the faff of moving them from one box to another, moving from a skep to a, a hive and all that sort of stuff. Just get them straight in the swarm box and move them where you want them. You can now support the show directly. Just go to patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub. You can become a patron and set up to donate to the show from any amount. Pledging as little as $3 a month makes a huge difference. If that's not your thing, you can also support the show by sharing it with people you know or posting about it on social media. We really appreciate all the help that you give us. It's people like you that make this show possible. So the last way that we're going to get free bees, I think, is by splits. Yes. From our own hives. You've mentioned something called a walkaway split. Yes. What about? I think that's probably the best place to start for for, for yourself, Carl. It's certainly what, what if we're going to make a split, it's what we tend to do. Um, it, it's the simplest split that you can do. You can try and raise queen cells and everything else. And there's lots of you know, videos well, and information you, online about. You, you had me at simplest. <laughs> okay, let's, let's go with simplest then. So um, <laughs> literally there's two ways of doing this really. And, and one is more fraught with risk than the other. Um, and but it but it also requires you can also do it any time whereas the, the other is kind of a bit more you have to wait for the right time to do it but it's much more likely to be successful um so the two scenarios really are that you've got you've got a colony which is going really well but there's no sign of any queen cells uh and then you've got scenario b which is they've got a colony that's going really well and all of a sudden you open it up one day and there are six queen cells in there yeah okay um and in the in the case of the first one literally what you could do and, and i wouldn't necessarily recommend it unless you were you know had lots of bees um but you what you could do if you had say five colonies and you knew you were going to get honey from some of the others is you could literally just split that colony in half and put it into two separate boxes so you go through take out some frames with some eggs some frames with some pollen some frames with some capped brood in there um some frames with some capped honey in there um and then what you would do is take those frames and put them in one of your small nuke boxes or one of your full-size hives shake some bees into it shut the lid and walk away okay. and so they walk away split now if you've got eggs that are less than three days old the bees realizing that there's no queen pheromone in there will go well hold on a minute this isn't right and they'll start to try and form an emergency queen cell yeah okay and the idea is that they will then just take one of those younger eggs start to turn it into a queen cell uh, often what you get is a slightly undersized queen in that scenario um, but they will be perfectly successful you know potentially in raising that if, if they can manage to pull it off in time. What, the, the, stops the, the, what stops the worker bees just instantly flying home and saying, well, hang on a minute, I'm in the wrong you're place. Gonna, you're going to move the box somewhere else, typically. Um, so you, you, I've seen it done side by side, but you, if you do it side oh, by side... Oh, I you, see. So, yeah? so, the, so the existing queen <laughs> is the one you move? Ideally, you move the existing location. queen. Got yeah. you. Yes, Ideally. But, but I've done it in the past. I've done it where literally you just take half the bees and then you find out where the queen is later on because that'll be the one that's got eggs in it yeah um, but if you do that then you know i'll talk about moving a hive 100 yards earlier on that's when you would do that get it well yes. out of the way uh, and and they'll go well hold on a minute we've got no queen what do we do and they'll try and rectify the problem um for themselves um if you can find the queen that is the ideal scenario because then you know where where you know where they're more likely to be successful 
uh, and you know to move that one away and leave the other one in, in position. Uh, yes. And the other thing then is that the, the, the weaker colony, it's got no queen in it. All the forager bees that are out will return to that weaker colony and bolster it. Yes. Okay. The only, the only real big problem with that is that you guarantee with that colony or both those colonies, you're not getting any, any surplus that year. Um, so mm -hmm. if, honey is a, if honey is a consideration, then that's not something you want to be doing. Sure. Well, it's, uh, you know, an egg today or a chicken tomorrow type situation yes yeah it? yeah yeah exactly and yeah. i'm always a chicken tomorrow kind of kind of guy so for me that's yeah. easy but um yeah, yeah. yeah for other people i can see it might not be um and then then the other one is where you where you're flush with queen cells and they're, they're you know got coming out of every every set every uh, frame in your beehive uh, and that's a really simple thing is where you you're just going to decide to split them up again um you, so you're going to take some some of the queen cells and you're going to move them to the new to a new box uh, you're going to take some eggs and honey and brood and everything else we talked about before, put them into a new box. In an ideal world, again, you'd know where the queen was, but I've seen it, you know, we can do it without perfectly well. The only real risk that you run there with that scenario is that the queen is probably still going to swarm. Yes. So potentially what you end up with is two colonies with plenty of bees and a new queen in them. But there's also then a risk that the queen, the old queen will decide, well, hold on a minute, you know, I'm, I'm not sticking around and she will clear off as well. So you end up potentially with one very weak colony, um, which can be nursed through. There are ways to solve that problem as well. So um, that's, qu that's quite a good way of doing it because the, the advantage of that is you know you're going to get queens in each of the two boxes. Yes. Um, so even if you end up losing a swarm with, with the, the, the original queen, the old queen, um, at least you end up with, with two boxes with queens left in them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, su I suppose the, 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 something to bear in mind for everyone is you know it, an old queen perhaps is actually running out of eggs anyway isn't she so yes. you can't necessarily rely you know it's, it, queens don't last forever so you can't just try and avoid a swarm by saving your old queen every time no. and thinking that that's that's gonna that's gonna be a sort of permanent solution for that bee that bee is, has got a finite existence as a queen however yeah. you spin it it's about three years. You've got about three years. And, and what we find typically when we catch swarms is that um, the following season, usually, but sometimes the same year, the old queen's booted out um, yes. or, or bored and killed by her own, by her own workers and, and replaced with a new queen. Um, so yeah. you'll find that, that often um, you know, you, you'll, you'll catch a swarm and, and I tend to leave them alone once I've caught them, I tend not to mess around with them too much, get them into a new box, leave them in there maybe pop in there perhaps in, in sort of late summer just to see if they needed a bigger box for the winter to get them through. Yeah. Um, in which case you might move them into a new box. But other than that, I wouldn't go in there much. But if you were to, there's a good chance that you'd find queen cells in there. And so <laughs> potentially you say, oh, I've got this swarm, that's brilliant. And then you go in there 10 days later and there's queen cells everywhere. And you're like, well, they're swarming back out again. They're not. What they're doing is replacing their queen. Yes. Um, and it's because that she's got old, gotten old and gotten past her you know, useful life. And it's time for someone, someone else to take the colony forward, if you, if you like. Yeah, and that, that's part of the whole circle of life and, and how they propagate the species, isn't it? You know, yeah. One of the ways they do it, the, the queen's getting a bit old, so mm. the colony decides, well, we're going to have a new queen. The queen yeah. leaves, effectively sets up a new colony, but yeah. she does that as her almost her, her final act for exactly the colony yeah. before yes, she's replaced. Exactly so, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's quite natural yeah. and, and nothing to worry about. Yeah, yeah, it's just it, it's unfortunate for the queen, but but it's all about the colony in this instance. What fascinates me is how they reach that decision, because yeah. we sort of imagine like B movie, they're all sitting around having a council and a discussion, and what we're going to do about this old queen. Then the reality <laughs> is, it's nothing like that at all. All of a yeah. sudden, people, you know, workers start making making these moves, 
almost subconsciously because the pheromone is, is weak. You know, the queen's pheromone is weakened. Yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, it's obviously not quite so, so, you know, virulent or whatever it might be. Um, and they just all collectively start building this, this new queen cells. It's, it's incredible when you think about what must happen inside the hive. It is. And, and I mean, I, I do mean to do an episode really just on the life cycle of a, a bee colony, because I think mm. it, it really is fascinating. And I do feel like I, you know, I understand it well enough to, you know, give that give that episode. I, I don't pretend to be an expert, but I do understand mm. that, you know, roughly how the, the life cycle of the colony works and how it works in terms of the, the species propagation side of it. And I think it's absolutely yeah. amazing. And, yeah, uh, it's incredible. Yeah, it really I, is. I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't profess to be an expert on the uh, sort of the science behind it and all that. It's, it's kind of what I've learned by doing yeah. um, over, over several years now of, of sort of trying to keep bees and starting with nothing and having nothing for a couple of years. And now we're up to, well, we were up to 12 colonies as we went into the summer. I think we'll probably be back down to 10 again as we speak now. But my aim is, is by the end of the year to be back up at sort of somewhere closer to 18. Um, and that's between to... you That's between you and Mike, is it? Yeah, Mike and I share yeah. them. Um, so, yeah, yeah we, keep, we keep the bulk in, in the one location where we work um, because we use them there. Um, and we, we've got an observation hive and things like that. So we can, we can show them to people. And I've taken them out into local schools and things to – to show the children how the you know what the inside of the beehive looks like, which you know, sort of gets them fascinated. Um, yeah. I've got a, a, an apprentice where I work who's who's just he's brilliant, absolutely so so knowledgeable, and um, you know really really looked into the science. He probably knows more than me about the science itself. So we, when he stands by the observation hive, you know everybody sort of learns something, which is really cool. Awesome. Um, and and the the others we literally got two little out, out apiaries that we use, which are just in convenient locations with, with people that we know that have got land and that that's the way you do it. And I think that's probably the other thing to say, if people are looking at getting into beekeeping, um, obviously you're, you're in a very fortunate position. I yes. tried keeping bees in my garden for a very short period of time um, and decided that it was not the best idea. Uh, rather, I was told it was not the best idea. <laughs> <laughs> I was told well, one... that I had decided that it was yes, not the best yes. idea. <laughs> And in fairness, that was the right decision. Yeah. <laughs> as disappointed as I was, um, because one morning my, my wife with, with our, our daughter, who was probably three at the time, I suppose, or two, something like that, going out to nursery one morning and she was going to go and drop, drop her daughter off before she went off to work. And um, she opened the front door and then literally closed it again because there was a swarm of bees in the garden. Um, and what had happened was I'd, I'd caught a swarm in, the, uh, in, in the, the, the box on the garage roof a few days before. And... Um, they'd swarmed back out again. They decided uh, so, not to stay caught. Yeah. Yeah. They decided actually this is not where we want to be after all. And uh, fortunately for me, she phoned me at work and I was like, I've got to go. We've got this bee situation home. And my boss was very understanding far more than he needed to be. And uh, sort of sent me off to go and fetch these bees back. And uh, I actually came and caught them and took them back to work with me. <laughs> Put them there. <laughs> that Perfect. Was, that, was, that was fun. One thing I should say actually, and, and just thinking about the garage roof, which keeps coming up a lot. I, I use that location purposefully. Um, because one of the things that you will find if you do swarm trapping is that bees tend to pitch up in the same place as other bees have pitched up. Um, so if you've caught a swarm in a location, there's a good chance going forward that you'll catch swarms in that location again. Yes. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One, obviously, that that means there's a decent bee population nearby. Um, but also there seems to be a lingering kind of pheromone or something that the, the bees kind of attach that that location. So. The garage roof is a great one. My parents' shed is another really good one. Um, but you could strap one to the side of a tree. You know, there's all sorts of places. But once you've caught one, I'd recommend putting them back in, in the same location 
Yeah, and of course, year. another reason why that would be successful is because the you know the bees are running; they're all running the same algorithm insofar <laughs> as where is a good place for us to find a home, aren't they? So, yes. you yep. know, if it, if it ticks all the boxes, the boxes yep. that we couldn't possibly understand, you know, that, that that they're thinking of, then you know, it ticks all the boxes. It's simple as that. Mm. So, if it's yes. a good place, it's a good place. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And and another couple of things, if I may. Um, just as a plea really to, to people out there is that wild colonies um, are really important to our, our ecosystem and uh, they, they've survived through all kinds of, you know, nasties. You talked about European, European fowl brood at your um, yeah. apiary where you, where your bees were. Um, these wild bees have survived through all of that. They've survived through mites and they've survived through anything else that nature's thrown at them. So if, if you do know where there's a local colony, if you, if it can be left where it is, um, I would always I'll sort of urge people to do that, but then to put swarm traps up around it to catch that gen those genetics. Yes. And to then use those genetics in your apiary. Try and leave that sort of mothership where it is if you can, uh, and work around it. Um, would, would be uh, you know something really important to me at least. Um, I sort of tend to keep very naturally and and sun intrusively as I can, and I think that it's important that we do our bit as beekeepers. Uh, and yeah. likewise, if you lose a swarm, you know, so if you're starting out. <laughs> When you're first starting out and you're, you're beekeeping and you've got a couple of colonies, it's really hard when you lose a swarm because that's that season's honey gone from that colony and you're not going to get it. There's yeah. nothing you can do to change that. It's just it's, it's done. It's too late. Um, so the other thing is to keep more colonies than you need. Mm -hmm. So if you need two to get enough honey for the year, keep five. And I would I would say that probably five is is the minimum that I would suggest that most people keep um, just because then, then you've got one that's about to swarm. You've got one that swarmed last year. You've got one that's going to produce loads of honey. You've got one that maybe is, is struggling a bit this year for no reason at all. Uh, and then maybe another one that's going to, going to produce a little bit of surplus, but not enough to, to sort of get you through the year. But you've always yeah. got what you need, and you haven't then got to put pressure on the bee colonies. Or, or you know, I've heard about people clipping queen's wings and putting queen excluders across the exit of the, the hive and um, all sorts of random stuff to try and stop the queen from swarming. Um, yeah. when it's the most natural behavior in the world and, and it's just <laughs> it beggars belief really some of the practices that people are put in place to try and keep the queen put so that they can get honey yeah 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 and, just, and just and keep it another actually, couple of boxes yeah and it doesn't lead to, <laughs> to a happy a happy colony because if they want to you know they want to swarm for a reason don't they it's part of yes. their natural behavior absolutely yeah absolutely so yeah please please if you can if you can even be you know and obviously the scenario you were in you couldn't could you with your, with your roof it was kind of like you've no. got to move them yeah, um, the roof so, wasn't going to be there anymore. Yeah, and so and then again, the next best thing in this, is the scenario that you had was to do what you did, which was to try and catch them into a box and, and make that into, into a positive for everybody. Yeah. Um, so please, if you if you find honeybees, don't call the exterminator out. Hopefully, they tell you that they can't do anything about it. But um, call the local beekeeping association, and they will help you deal with that problem. I'm sure. It's really easy for you to get in touch with us. You can do it either by sending an email to selfsufficientcontact at gmail.com or by using the link in the show notes to send us a voice message. You can send us a voice message just using your phone. You could also reach out to us on Facebook where we have the Self Sufficient Hub group and the Self Sufficient Hub page. We're always thrilled to get your feedback, questions or suggestions for future topics on the show. That's perfect, Alan, because what you were just saying about the number of hives and stuff, at least I've only got two questions uh, in addition to what we've discussed already yep. that I really wanted to nail down from you, because I think you're in 
as good a position as anyone in the world, you and mine, uh, to, to answer these for me, because they're quite personal for me. Okay. And, yep. you know, because I think you understand what I'm trying to do and yep. you understand, because I can tell you, you know, that I want to manage my bees in a very, very similar way to you guys. So with that bit of information and the only other additional piece of information is to say that because I'm going to be trying to basically use the honey for probably more things than a lot of families would because yep. I'll be using it in place of sugar in a lot of places that most families wouldn't. Yeah. How many, how many hives do you think I should be aiming at to, to, to be running at, you know, any one time? What, what would, what would be the right number for me? Do you have any idea how many jars of honey you get through in a year? None at all, because it's no. not until I start making it that I'm really good lot of the stuff that i want to use it for because obviously it'd be nice if i didn't have to buy sugar that's yeah. the goal and yeah. i don't know that i'll ever get there i don't know that i will or i won't but i yeah. would think you know probably realistically i think it, it, it we'd probably be going through a couple of jars a week yeah so you probably need something similar to what we've got going on then just to be on the safe side we're, we're producing um i think the, the most we've ever produced in a year was 120 jars yeah um and, and we thought and what will happen occasionally and it, it can be really frustrating is you'll go into a into a colony sort of around about late june and you go like, oh yeah it's going really well you know we've got loads of honey and, and we've not get the main flow of the bramble come through yet and you think you're going to get loads of honey and then something will go wrong or the, mm -hmm. that, that bit of where they get the what they call the june dearth where there's not much food around in the wild for yeah. the bees um they tend to eat some of it then and, and then by the end of august when we harvest ours there's not as much left um, and that's something you'll need to be aware of is you're using the, um, the standard, the standard national boxes, aren't you? Correct. For yours. Um, and so w because we use the slightly deeper ones, we, anything that's in the super is ours. You'll need to just be aware of how much you leave for the bees. Yeah. Um, so you'll just need to think about that. Um, but we, in, on our deep boxes with, with about 10 colonies, I think produce 120 jars one year. Um, we tend to split it half and half. And I reckon that would give you, in fact, no, you'd better do half then, wouldn't you? You'd better do maybe five or six. That would give you, if we had 120 from 10, you could get potentially 60 from five. That might yeah, well so work. About, about, oh, yeah. Roughly. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you get a big, we, if we, um, when we did our, our podcast on it, we actually podcasted, didn't we, when we were <laughs> extracting the honey and made a load of racket. Um, when we did that, we were getting, I think, about 18 jars out of a super on average. Yeah. But that was, that was a full super. Yes. Um, and so you'd be looking at wanting to get, what four of those probably three or four of those to get you through a year no you want 100 jars you said didn't you so i'm yeah, sorry my maths so. is i'm getting myself tied up That's in right. <laughs> so so you are going to want the 10 hives to get the 100 jars to be uh, on the safe side realistically probably a couple of spare hives as well yeah i yeah. I, I would always have more than you need i mean if you're yeah. planning to replace your sugar with it and you're going to rely on that then you need to have plenty more than you need for the year that you get that's rubbish you know when we get the dreadful august yeah, and there's no honey produced and perhaps you lose a couple of colonies or you know something's gone wrong or you get a bit I of suppose, foul brood or i suppose the one the one thing to say about honey though is because it never goes off does it so <laughs> nope. um it, it's quite easy to build up a surplus and you've got that then forever so yes. that that can you know that that's the other side of it um yes you know you've got yeah, you've got well, the yeah. downside of, of of you can have an unreliable year but if yep. you've got a bit of a surplus you know that's something you don't need to worry about ever going off so yeah which is what we, we what we do we, we keep a store um so yeah. yeah in fact standing in our what we call our pantry but it's a glorified utility room <laughs> and I've, yeah <laughs> i've got last year's honey and this year's honey and the year before's honey 
in here yeah. and it's all labeled up so i know which one I'm, I'm eating and the beautiful thing is they're all slightly different yeah yeah so slightly yeah. different flavor but so yes yeah, so probably probably 10 to 12 hives would probably be enough for you um Perfect. but yeah like you say once you've got that surplus you've you, you've sort of protected a little bit against the sort of future and bad years and and the second question and uh i think you know like i say you're, you're perfectly placed to answer this is how often do you think and i know that it's all opinion how often do you think i should be going in my hives oh my goodness me it depends on the hive uh it depends yeah. on the time of year um, yeah, yeah of course uh in, in swarm season more often um and and often what, what i will do is i'll sort of I, because of the way that I keep these, I, I do a lot of it through the, from my work. Um, yes. I, I teach in a school. Um, it's not a regular school. It's a, a school for, for lads with social, emotional, mental health problems. And um, part of what we do on, on sort of once a week in, in well, through the year, actually, is kind of electives that you might be familiar with from uh, college where we've got activities going on and they, they can opt in effectively. Yeah. Uh, and through the, through the summer months when the beekeeper is going on, I will run that. And that's one of the reasons I keep my hives there. The school owns two hives of its own. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, I wouldn't want to go into the same two hives every week. Uh, and so yeah. we keep some extra ones there. And it, obviously it, it serves two purposes. One, I get to use, you know, to inspect my bees on work time, which is fantastic for me. Um, yeah. But but for the school, it means they haven't got to invest so heavily into the equipment that they might otherwise need. Yes. Um, so everyone, everyone wins out of that arrangement. And then what I get is, you know, apprentices that I can train up and teach. And there's one lad in particular who's, who's amazing, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and so that that's the way that we kind of get around that problem. Sorry, I've forgotten the original question, Carl. Can you <laughs> so how, how often? You know, how, how, <laughs> how often? Do you go to, so I so, know it will change throughout right. the year. So yeah. But, so the uh, reason I mentioned that is that I then will will go through the bees on a kind of rotation. Um, so it might be two or three weeks before I get back to to a colony. Sometimes a lot longer. Um, I tend to go to them when I've got time to go to them. Typically, what that means is when I get there, I find a problem with something, and I usually would then have a stack of stuff in the back of the car. Um, to try and deal with that problem there or then. And if I can't, I often will have to go back the next day and try and resolve it. Um, but if, if you were going in, you know, more than once a week, that, that I mean, you're just doing more damage than you're doing. You're doing good. You're, you're killing sure. bees every time you open it up. So that's pointless. Um, in swarm season, they would say every nine days. The reason they say that is that you'll then catch queen cells just as they're being capped. Yeah. Um, so you'll then know that there's a queen cell that's just been capped and you then know that you've got a week to do something about it before she's going to hatch and, fly off potentially or the old queen might fly off yeah um but the rest of the year i mean i've not been into a hive in earnest yet this year um i wouldn't expect to probably certainly not until the weather warms up um probably not for another couple of weeks and then might maybe i mean there's some of my colonies i went into maybe twice the whole of last year yeah um and part of that is that you can once you get sort of um a bit more experienced you, you can look at the colony and you get you get a feel for what's going on this year you know um, I, I sort of keep some records when I go in. Um, and, and one of the things that I record is kind of, is it strong? Is it weak? What is this hive going to be useful for this year? What's this colony going to do? Is it going to swarm? Is it going to produce me a surplus? Do I need to worry about it? Is it, you know, am I concerned that maybe this is not a particularly strong colony and I need to keep a closer eye on it? And the ones that I know that are strong that are not going to swarm that are therefore for my production, I'm probably going to just ignore those this year. Yeah. Uh, part of that is about knowing what happened with them the, the previous couple of years you know and that's why i keep the records is i can look back and go well i caught that as a swarm last year so if they haven't already they're probably going to supersede so that colony we're build, building up this year if i'm lucky i'll get a bit of surplus or that one i caught two years ago they replaced the queen last year it should be really strong they should be booming this year i'm not expecting them to swarm because that's not part of their cycle yet this queen should be really strong should be in a prime 
So unless they get sort of um, honey bound or they're, they're sort of squashed into the hive, there's not enough space for them, they shouldn't go anywhere. So it's all those sort of judgments that you're making as you're looking through the colony. And, and by keeping a record of what I've, what I've observed, if I can't remember, which when you get to you know half a dozen colonies, it gets difficult to remember. Um, I can always go refer back to my notes and just check and, and yeah, yeah. figure it out from there. So with my with my two hives, one of them yep. is a queen in her second year. Yep. And so I should just expect them to just focus on building up the colony, and and they're yes. not going to be looking to swarm this year. No, that, they you look know, really probably. strong. Actually. That's that's the one you looked in second, wasn't it? On that's on your right. Video. Yeah, yeah they're they're, really they look good. really strong. Yeah, really strong. And, the, and I, you put the super on them already, didn't you? Yeah, I did. But I've got yeah, to go back yeah. into the hive just to move that crown board that I put in the oh, wrong yes. place. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, but the other one, the one that I sort of took from that roof, I've no, you know, we've no idea what that queen's doing, how old she is. So, um, and and it's not. I wouldn't say it was thriving quite as well as the other colonies. I, since I, the move, I would but it's say early they, days. Yeah, I would say they're not likely to need a super this year. Um, just yeah. from just from what, you, what I saw on the video, um, sure. they they look not nearly as as active as the other colony to me. Correct. Not nearly as full as the other colony to me. Correct. Um, and and probably what's happened there is that they'll spend this year now recovering from what is the a huge move. trauma. You know, yeah, it's yeah. huge trauma. Um, but but the other colony you might expect to get a few jars from. Um, but okay. I, you know, um, well if I do it's a bonus, you know, it's, yeah, it's all at yeah. this point. It's all it's all about the bees. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, if, if you can leave it on there, then leave it on there. There are many beekeepers who harvest in the spring rather than in the autumn or some late summer. Right. Um, so that's something to think about and have, have um, what works for you. Um, obviously, the advantage of that is that the bees then have used what they need. Yeah, and they've got time um, to recover their stores again. for the Yeah. Yeah. And so by, by, by taking it in the spring, uh, they've had enough. And then you've, you, know, you can take what's left over effectively. It's not going to make any difference to you. Capped honey will keep for ages um so yeah from that point of view there's no difference really it's just that what time you decide to do it um so yeah something to think about there perhaps yeah great well you've uh you, you know you've you've definitely answered all my questions as well as i could okay. possibly have hoped for good um, good i really appreciate everything uh alan i really do and uh hopefully we'll we'll do this again i think i, I feel like i could talk about this subject with you for hours <laughs> so uh yeah maybe, maybe we'll uh, we'll have to book book another one in soon absolutely it's, it's really fascinating it's always a pleasure to come and have a chat carl i have to say and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed your your podcast pretty much from the start and uh in fact yeah almost from the start and, and i've actually got into the youtube channel now and i would say that i think people are <laughs> people are listening to you I, I really like your weekend where you just sort of go through what you've been up to i've really really enjoying watching that as i'm doing the washing up of an evening <laughs> oh, it makes an otherwise mundane job quite interesting so oh so, yeah well, thank you for that. saying that's really kind and uh mm. you know people people listening would already know that i'm uh, a huge fan of your podcast as well so why don't you, uh, you let people know how they can find it yeah we are urban homesteading uk podcast we're in all the usual podcast outlets on spotify and wherever else you might get your podcast from uh we are literally coming up to our uh, the one year um that we've been doing it for uh, in i think two days time it was the third of may so i think we put our first one out on the fifth of may this time last year so um we've got Happy a little birthday. bit nowhere yeah thank you nowhere near as <laughs> prolific as you and, and i am going to put a little bit of thing out on the on our facebook group to see if anyone's actually listened to the, the lost first episode because it's no longer on the i've never heard it there's a reason why no one's heard it it was dreadful yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but hopefully what we're doing now is is interesting and we, we talk a lot about 
just being, you know, we're two ordinary guys. We, we do, we, we work full-time jobs. Uh, we work together uh, in the same school, uh, working full-time jobs and, and trying to fit in, um, trying to be as self-sufficient as we can around our sort of family lives. And so, you know, we talk a lot about growing food and obviously the bees and uh, we keep chickens. Mike's got some quail on the go at the moment. Um, and he's bacon. also got, uh, yeah, making bacon and, and just trying lots of different things out and, and just trying to encourage people to, to have a go because you know i put up a thing about some ricotta that i made this weekend i'm lactose intolerant so got us some goat's milk and made some ricotta because if i buy it in the in the shops there's no use to me and uh, i put it up on the on the facebook group and a, you know, a bunch of people asking me oh, how, how do you make that yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. the simplest thing in the world it's so straightforward yeah uh, that, that everybody should and could be doing it and uh, you know trying to encourage people to have a go at things like that it's just about taking the time to try it and you know, you might only ever do it once, but at least if you've done it once, you know how to do it. And that's yeah. what we're all about. Oh, absolutely. You, you're sing we're singing from the same uh, the same hymn <laughs> sheet there. For yeah. Sure. yeah, absolutely. Right. That's great. Thanks ever so much, Alan. And uh, it's a pleasure. no doubt we will uh, speak soon. Yes, yes. You look after yourself and get a haircut, Carl, yeah? Because it's uh, yeah. Again, oh, I've got one. a bit I've wild, man. Oh, did you? I've got one. Yeah, I've got one. You'll have to see it. Yeah, the the, it's on the latest YouTube video. Yeah, big reveal. Yeah. I, was, I feel like a completely different human. That's priceless. <laughs> Brilliant. Cheers, Al. Right, take care of yourself. Speak soon. Cheers, mate. Bye. If you find this podcast valuable, there's several ways you can support it. The easiest of which is to rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts. You could also talk about it or share it wherever you post online, including your social media pages. And now you can support the podcast directly by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub. However you support the podcast, we really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. See you soon.